This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Um, so I already introduced Joel to everyone that was here for breakfast, um, so I won't repeat everything all over again. Um, but uh, Joel Hilner uh, and his wife Nicole are here. Their two children are with um, a couple who they're planning on serving with in Liberia, in West Africa, at the beginning of next year. Uh, Joel, I actually went to high school with Joel, um, which is an elite group. I mean, you've already met Trevor. Um, so you've met probably, what, now 30% of our high school. Because um, <laughs> my graduating class was eight, um, and Joel was a class ahead of me. Your class was huge. I think there was 14, 11? 12, okay, yeah, so Joel was a big, his class was big, um, so I barely knew him. Um, false, that was very false. Um, I was in the top half, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, me and Joel go way back, and um, in college, Joel and I uh, basically left our little bubble environment uh, in private school, and um, I think both of us would probably say that we had a little bit of a downward spiral. Um, I personally, in my own story, I would say that I wasn't really a believer, and that kind of showed itself after I left um, that that place. Um, but we, me and Joel, uh, kind of have been a, been a long way. Uh, the Lord has rescued us from um, the depths of our foolishness and continues to rescue us from less depths of foolishness. Um, but it was really a blessing to have Joel come stay this weekend at my house um, with a completely different context uh, than the last time he stayed at my house. And so it's just a testament to what God does in the hearts of those who um, often, you know, I have a lot of friends growing up in a private school having a Christian education that kind of kind of fell off the deep end uh, after leaving the nest, so to speak. And God is powerful, and God is the one who uh, calls his sheep, and God is the one who draws people to himself when, whenever he feels like it. And so in really powerful ways, uh, Joel and I have kind of been on this little journey uh, and have been called back or called to the Lord, um, and he's, he's very much humbled us in that. So it's been a huge blessing. Uh, I am here in Denver, and I'm thankful for that. Joel uh, wasn't uh, satisfied with the continental United States. So him and his family are planning on moving to Liberia uh, at the beginning of next year after Nicole has their third child sometime this summer. Um, but I thought it would be good for Emmaus to get to know Joel a little bit. Uh, we, we have a desire to support international missions, and we have a desire to support international missions with a missionary that we know and can have conversation with and that we can uh, have breakfast with and have tacos this morning. Um, so Joel is going to preach at a Psalm 37 and uh, lead us in the word, and so I'm thankful for that. So if you want to come on up. For And so God has been gracious and kept my voice this long, so we will see. That's why I have some water up here. So. G.I. Joe. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. Now, gee, I was told that Gene would not let me down with some hearty amens <laughs> at hopefully the appropriate time. Right, Gene? I've been practicing. Yeah, so th thank you guys so much for having me, and I've just been looking forward to this a lot. So 
Uh, let, let me begin with the word of prayer. Dear Lord, just um, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for um, this, this group of believers that it faithfully seeks to follow you. Thank you for Aaron. I pray that you would just guide and lead this church um, through him and the, the other elders, Lord. And we just thank you for um, Emmaus Church and the impact that they have uh, in their community, Lord. I pray that you would continue to have that. And I just pray for your word to go out today. Um, and that your war would be the center and focus, not anything else. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I originally uh, planned to come up here and read some pretty depressing headlines uh, to kind of start this off, but I, I don't think we need that. I don't think I need to come up here and tell you that we live in a very evil generation. I mean, oftentimes I find myself looking around and thinking, could things get any worse? Um, I'll watch a preview for a new TV show, and I'm like, how is that even on TV right now? May, or maybe you're not confused, or maybe you're just calloused to all the, um, to all the evil that's in this world, and it doesn't even, doesn't even phase you anymore. We see evil in the world and evil people, and oftentimes we, see that, we think that those are the ones that are getting ahead, and that they're and that they're the ones that have it all together, and sometimes we even want to be like those evil people. Maybe it makes you sad, maybe it makes you mad, maybe it even makes you a little bit jealous. And David here in Psalm 37 is dealing with this exact situation. Um, this is a psalm, this is actually considered a wisdom psalm. Some say that it could even be part of the book of Proverbs, it's not, but uh, the first, actually, the first verse of the of, of Psalm 37 is repeated in, in another prophet, pretty much word for word, and this is a this is a psalm of David as he's looking back over his life and just seeing the evil in his generation, and nothing, in fact, has changed since since he wrote this. But fortunately, God gave us the psalm, so we know how we can live in an evil generation because things have not changed in since, since Adam's sin. It's been an evil generation ever since. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to take this uh, a, a one chunk at a time. And the first is the first verse. So uh, Psalm 37 of David, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. I love the honesty of the Bible and how it doesn't even beat around the bush. The first word you hear, have here is an imperative. And um, my Bible and uh, Daniel's Bible, right, Daniel? Yep. Yes. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel's Bible said fret. But I think, uh, I think a better way to understand that word is, is in, the, in the sense of don't get heated. Don't get angry about it. It's the, it's the same word that the Bible uses when Cain was heated and he killed Abel. It's the same word that the sons of Jacob. Uh, it's the same word used of the sons of Jacob when they found out their their daughter or their sister Dinah had been raped, and they went and slaughtered the, the men in Shechem. It's the same anger that Jonah had when God had mercy on the Ninevites, and he was angry, he was heated that 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 the that God had mercy all around them. We oftentimes look around and see those practicing evil and feel like they're getting ahead. I'm sitting over here doing everything right and I can't seem to catch a break. And I think we need to remember that when the Bible uses the term evil, it's, it's a contrast between good. So when it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, we need, you need to think of a contrast between good. 
This isn't Putin. This isn't Hitler. This isn't anybody over-the-top evil. This is anything that is contrasted with good. But David doesn't stop there. He says, don't be envious. So we're not only not to get angry, but we're not to be envious. See, oftentimes anger can quickly fade into envy. I hate her turns into, I want to be her. I want what she has. In fact, it didn't click. I did now. Oh, it did. Okay, I got to get it a second. I get it. It didn't have its coffee this morning. Psalm 73, uh, Asaph writes, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the evil, of the wicked. See, we look around and think, why, why is that guy getting ahead? Why does he get the breaks? But you see, when we're too busy worrying about the evil around us, we're not seeing what God is doing in our lives and through other people. We're too busy worrying about how that person's getting ahead or why, why that person catches all the breaks. And the more we focus on the evil around us, the more we watch CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, any of those entertainment shows. Because that's what they are. They're not news. They're not there to make you feel better. If you want to get depressed, go watch Fox News or CNN or whatever. Our, bro- our problems become so big when that's all we're focusing on and we're not focused on God. And that's what David here is telling us not to do. He said, cool down, don't worry about it. There's, no, there, there, there's evil around us and that's not anything new. Yet the truth of this verse, and the truth of this verse is still the same since David wrote it. Uh, in my personal devotions, I've been reading through 2 Samuel and da- da- David had a lot of evil in his life. I mean, just think of his son Absalom and the things that Absalom wanted to do to David. Try to take over his throne. David was fleeing. David saw a lot of evil in the world, but his admonition to us was don't fret about it. Don't worry. Don't get heated. Joe, did your uh, study tell you whether David uh, had uh, been with Bathsheba yet at this time in Psalms 37? I would assume so since it said he was an old man. But I don't think we have the exact date of it, so I wouldn't dogmatically come up here and say that. Thanks, Thanks Gene. So we, we're told not to be angry. We're told not to be envious. And we're told because of verse 2. So um, verse 2 says, For they, that is the evil people, will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. See, the, the wicked might seem prosperous. They might seem like they're having it all together. But the Bible tells us that they will soon fade. Their prosperity will be gone. Putin is filling the news today, but he, he won't be there forever. Hitler was gone. Hitler's gone. He did a lot of damage, but he's not there anymore. He faded like the, gra- the green grass. It, it might seem like the ungodly are winning the day, but in reality, they will not last. See, evil will gain a foothold in the short term, short term and even appear to win the day. And the reality is, is we do live in an evil time. And that there are a lot of evil people around us. But they will be here today and they'll be gone tomorrow. We don't have to get angry or envious about it. In fact, uh, Daniel in Daniel chapter 4 says that kings and kingdoms come and go. Generations come and go. And in uh, Isaiah 40 verse 17 it says, All the nations are as nothing before him, that is Yahweh. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. See, God is in control. 
he, he, he's the one who established these people. We, don't, we might not always know why God allows things to happen. We don't know why that God is allowing Putin to have his day, but he will one day stand in judgment and answer for the things that he did. See, we must remember that we serve a sovereign God. Things might seem bad now, and oftentimes they are, but God sees the whole story, and he is, he is in control. When we get angry and envious, in essence, what we're saying is that God has not given us enough or what he gave us should be different. When we get upset, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. Psalm 103 reminds us of this, of his short days. It says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. We must remember that the wicked will pass away quickly. But we also remember that we too will pass away quickly and that we are to be wise as we walk around this earth and as we do things. Um, Ephesians 5, 15 says that we are to walk wisely redeeming the time. I didn't, I didn't have a slide for that verse. But um, so now, now, now that David has told us what we shouldn't do, don't get heated, don't be envious, David is gonna tell us what we should do. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. It's very interesting to hear what David doesn't tell us to do. He doesn't tell us to go fight injustice. He doesn't tell us to go, you know, strap on uh, a machine gun and go try to kill Russian soldiers. Is there a time for war? Is there a time to do those things? Yes, but he says, trust in the Lord and do good. This is, but this isn't some blind trust. This isn't a trust in man. Jeremiah 17, five says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. See, just like Israel always wanted to trust in Egypt and other military alliances, we often want to trust in man. It made me think, what, what do I trust in? And I think that oftentimes the things that I trust in are the things that I can see. I can flip my phone on and go to my banking app and see that I have X amount of dollars or Y amount of dollars. And that makes me feel good because I, that I can put my trust in that, that I can provide for my family. And why providing for my family is a good thing, trusting in money is not. Well, I mean, what are some things you guys might trust in? Your savings, your job. It's important to have a job. You should have a job. But oftentimes we can find security in the things that we can see. And here, David is telling us that we are not to trust in worldly things, but we are to trust in God. But however, not only are we to trust in God, but we are to do good. Thought I clicked it. All right, there you go. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. See, we're not supposed to seek our own form of justice. We're supposed to trust in the Lord and do good. And you can't do good to others if you're so worried about the world that you won't get involved with other people's lives. God, God calls us to be in community with other people. And if we're so afraid to be involved, to get out there, to be, to, to be vulnerable, to be hurt by other people, because people are, people are messy. They'll hurt you. But we, we can trust that God is in control and that he tells us that we are to love other people. 
See, the most natural thing that we want to do when somebody hurts us or there's evil in the world is we want to get even. He says, don't get mad, get even. See, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus in Luke 6 says, but, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Amen. What did Jesus do while he was on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. While they were crucifying him on the cross, he forgave those people. So do you want to know that the cure for anger, for worry, for envy? It's trust. Trust in God that he can and should be trusted. So the verse goes on to say, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Again, we're not supposed to run and hide. We're not supposed to move to Wyoming and buy some land off the grid. I love Wyoming. I lived there for a year. I love Colorado too, don't get me wrong. And there's nothing more than my sinful self wants to do than to live where I can't see anybody. But that's not what God calls us to do. You can't befriend faithfulness. You can't do good to others if you're not around anybody. And, and don't forget the context of this verse that David, we're living in a land of a bunch of evildoers. It says, dwell in the land. You mean that, that same land with all those evildoers? With all that evil? We're called to be salt and light in a world full of evil. And salt and light can't, can't function if, if you're not around other people. The darker the world becomes, the brighter we shine. When the whole world wants to turn their back on God, those who don't will stand out even brighter. Um, uh, my church, well, the church that I came from, from San Antonio, used to go on a mission trip, and we used to go on a mission trip to the Navajo Nation in, in uh, uh, Flagstaff, near Flagstaff, Arizona. And one of the things we would do is we would take the kids to an old lava tube, and it's really cool because you like you you go and you're in the forest and it's hot because it's in July, and then you walk down and it drops like 30 degrees, and then you walk down this very treacherous journey and you get to the end of this lava tube and it is dark. I mean, so dark so they tell everybody turn off all electronics and things like that. And you can I mean, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And then we give them a devotion about being the light of the world, and somebody has like a lighter or some, or one little small source of light, and it just the whole place just brightens with light. And then I think that's, that's what we're talking about here, about being a light in a dark world. The darker the, the world, the brighter our light shines. And so what a comfort that we can stay right where we are, no matter the evil, and know that God is in control. Nothing says, I trust God, more than staying in a world full of evildoers. So David tells us, don't be angry, don't be envious, do trust in God, do good, do befriend faithfulness. David goes on to write and says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, Lord, amen. So the answer to the question, which Old Testament verse is most likely to be taken out of the context is probably this verse. <laughs> but before we can talk about what this verse does say, I think How it's- about in the beginning? That's a good verse too, Gene. And it's important to what it doesn't say. Yes, sir. It doesn't say that if I have my Bible time consistently, my day will go smoothly. It doesn't say if I memorize enough Bible verses, I'll pass on my test. Or if I attend church regularly, I'll find a husband. Or if I keep my mind pure, I will find a wife. While all those things are good things, this verse isn't so much about what you do or don't do. It is about who you do or do not love. 
So what does it mean to delight in the Lord? The Cambridge Dictionary defines delight as something or someone that gives you pleasure, satisfaction, or happiness. Maybe perhaps a more biblical definition might be to delight in something means that our hearts truly find peace and fulfillment in that thing. However, definitions, even the more biblical ones, are only helpful so far. It's one thing to be able to define a term. It's an absolutely another thing to actually live it out. So the question should be not so much as what delighting in the Lord is, but how do I delight in him? And I want to preface all this by this. Is, this none of this is on our own power. That only our hearts can only be changed through God. And that we can't do it. We're called to do things too. And there's this divine mystery of free will versus God's sovereignty. But this is all done through the power of his Holy Spirit. So I think it might be helpful to get some preliminaries out of the way. So the first way we delight in him is we must know him. It might be pretty basic to say that we must know him. But if you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not walking with him, if you're, you're not truly one of his disciples, then there's no way that you are able to delight in him. This is a little bit of a longer verse, but Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his mercies. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, this isn't about knowing him. But this isn't about knowing about him. This is truly about knowing God. It's one thing to say I know all the memory verses, but it's a completely different thing to say I have an re intimate relationship with God. But before I go on, I want, I want to admit that I, I struggle here too. I want to, I want to check off the boxes. It, it's much easier for me to be give, giving a list of things to do and be able to do those things than to than to truly have an intimate relationship with God. I think that God has grown me in that and that, and that I, I do feel like my relationship with God is intimately and, and is growing. But I, I oftentimes do spiritual things just to check in the box. In fact, last year, I was all the way through October of reading your Bible in a year plan. And I just felt like I needed to quit because I was too busy checking off the boxes and actually studying God's word. Now, that, those things are great. I, I started it again this year. And I've been able to enjoy reading through the Bible. But oftentimes, I just get to this point where I want to just check off these boxes and not have this relationship with God. And please, please don't take from this sermon that you should go home and stop reading your Bible. That is not what I'm saying here. So what does it mean to know about God? It means we delight in what he delights in. The verse in Jeremiah says, he delights in steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, and not the perverted sense of what the world thinks those words mean but what, what the Bible has to say about it. So first, we must know him. Next, we must seek him. Oops, too quick, but that's okay. If you guys want to turn your Bibles back a few verses or a few chapters to Psalm 34 and see how many times the Bible says, talks about seeking. We won't, we won't read the whole thing, but I want to point out a few verses. Verse four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen. Verse five says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse 10, the, lung, the young lions suffer want and hunger, 
But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then lastly, in Psalm, uh, uh, in verse 17, it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. One of my favorite um, quotes I've heard in seminary so far has, has been one of my professors or, or somebody I forget says, if you feel far from God, you are the one who has moved. See, Psalm 143, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Because if God feels far from you today, you're the one who's moved, not him. God is there and God wants and waits for you to seek him. You might not think today you have anybody to turn to, but you can turn to God and cry out to him. You can come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you if I, if I can talk to you after, after church. Talk to one of your elders. I know your elders care for you and pray for you. And I wanna encourage you that God is not far and he is waiting for you to seek him. However, the Bible also gives us a warning. In Isaiah 55, six, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Amen. See, there will be a time when the Lord is not near, that it is too late. Don't think for an instant that you can just wait and come to God on your own time. There is a day coming where it will be too late. Maybe that day is years off, but maybe for somebody here today, it's today. Don't wait. Seek him while he may be found. So first, we must know him. Second, we must seek him. And lastly, we must obey him. Amen. As the children of Israel were about to enter the land, God gave them a warning in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm gonna read a couple uh, verses out of Deuteronomy. And I want you guys just to listen as the children of Israel would have listened as uh, Moses gave this um, to him. And it comes out of Deuteronomy 11, uh, 26 through 32. And it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today and to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curses on Mount Ebal. And they, are not, and they are not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward the going down of the sun and the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal beside the Oak of Moreh. For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting out for you today. Well, I understand that we aren't the children of Israel. I think that verses, those verses are still applicable. When, when we can show God that we are truly delighting in him by obeying the things that he has said. See, the Ten Commandments aren't how you earn the salvation, but they are practical ways you can demonstrate that you love God and your neighbor. You love God so you don't make an idol. You love God so you don't worship anybody else. You love God so you don't take his name in vain. You love your neighbor so you don't covet his wife, or his cattle, if that's applicable, <laughs> or his car. I see a lot of RAV4, or not RAV4s, uh, uh, Toyota 4Runners out here, and they're nice. <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing. I can't stress, stress it enough that we cannot say that we delight in the Lord if we are not obeying him. Are we going to be perfect? No. Are we gonna backslide? Yes. Like Aaron said earlier, I really don't think I was a believer when me and Aaron lived together. 
but God still loved me enough to, to be patient for me until I came back to him. And it was only through his power that I did that. And I'm a testament to God's graciousness like every one of you is here. There's nobody here who is saved that is a less miracle than somebody who, who has this like crazy story or whatever. Every salvation is a miracle. In fact, the Bible says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenting than in, than in, um, than in, than in all else. And I should have looked at that verse and not just trying to do it off the top of my head. Aaron told me that you guys were a forgiving crowd and I appreciate it, so thank you. Remember, so remember the context of our passage here in Psalm 37. Evildoers all over the place probably not the best of time. Maybe inflation was high. Maybe they had to go take out a small business loan to fill up their gas tank. But we are still called to delight in the Lord. See, it's not about, it's not about our circumstances, but it's about who we are delighting in. It doesn't matter what happens around, happening around us in the world. We are still called to delight in the Lord. We are called to know and to seek and obey him, but we must never forget that we know God because he first knew us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He, we love because he first loved us. None of this is possible by ourselves, by yourselves. You can try on your own, on your own self-power to do this, but all that leads to is legalism and frustration. This is a daily dependence on the scripture, a daily denying yourselves. See, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See, I didn't have these verses either. Uh, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive to grace, uh, together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We never forget that what grace started, grace will finish. And that we are still called to do our part, but God is the one who empowers us to do those things. The verse goes on to say, and he will give you the desires of the heart. See, if you know him, if you're seeking him, and if you are obeying him, delighting in him, then your desires will line up with his. I know you might be thinking, I am doing all those things, but my desires aren't happening. Isaiah 30, uh, 18 says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. See, did you hear that? God gets glory in showing you mercy. When God showed Aaron mercy, me mercy, you mercy, you mercy, he gets the glory. God does everything for his own glory, and we should seek his glory above all else. I, but I also want to encourage you that things might not be happening on your time frame, uh, on your own time frame. You might be doing everything right, and God is telling you to wait. Me and my wife have been told to wait several times, and it's not an easy process, but God has shown us so much through them, through, through those things, and to, to wait and to know that his timing is good. And while I was thinking about this verse um, this morning, and, and even the, the passage, that, um, or the songs that uh, Ben had sung this morning, I thought of, who, who, who could we go to to see somebody who really delighted in God, who really followed the God's will and desired him. And I mean, I know it's a Sunday school answer, but it's Jesus. And I thought about what Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to read a, verse, a few verses out of this. Uh, and Luke 22, I don't have a slide for this because I just thought of this this morning, but Luke 22, starting in 
uh, verse 39. And he came and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to a place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, and saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthened him. And he being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. See, God, God wanted, uh, Jesus wanted to follow the will of his father so much that he would lay, lay down his own desires and follow the will, even all the way to the cross. He was obedient even to the cross. And I think that's our example, that even though we might have other desires, that we are obedient to the will of God. Psalm 30, uh, going back to Psalm 37, in verse five it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. One of the reasons why I've fallen more and more in love with the Psalms is the Im imagery this, this, the, the word for commit is actually the Hebrew word, which could be translated roll, like rolling a stone. And I think that's such a great illustration. It's imagine you're standing at the top of a hill and there's this huge stone and it just needs one little push. And that push, that stone rolls down the hill. I like to think that I don't have a problem with committing, but the more I meditate on this verse, the more I realize that I do. I want to say I don't, but as soon as I push that stone down the hill, I want to run after it and grab it again and say, no, I want to be in control. I want my way, my desires. I guess I should have known this. My mom always said that I, as a kid, I was terrible at picking uh, candy in the candy aisle. I, was, I had trouble committing to this, to committing to things. But this isn't just about committing. It's about who you're committing to. I'm not committing to my ways. I'm not committing to a, you know, a two-year Verizon cell phone plan. I'm committing my ways to the Lord. Amen. For me, I think one of the hardest things to commit is to commit the, my children to the Lord. I want to protect them from all the evil in this world. There's a million things out there that could go wrong. And million things that could go wrong with me, I'm, I'm, I'm often clumsy and I think, man, I gotta be careful. I could really hurt my kids sometimes. And then my wife would kill me. But that's another story. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not, a, I'm not a helicopter parent, but somebody told me one time that, you see that, Joel, you don't need to be worried about that because God loves your kids more than you could ever love and he has their best in mind. God cares for your children more than you could ever. God cares for your wife, for your husband, for you more than you could ever care. So when we commit our ways, we're, we're letting it go. Um, so me and Aaron, when we were in high school, we used to go to the skate park. And I know I look like a BMX guy. <laughs> I'm not. They're like this tall. <laughs> I realize that. And anyway, but I, I remember being on top of a ramp and, and looking down at it and thinking, I gotta commit myself to going down there. If you, if you roll in on your bike or on your skateboard and you like like try to back out on the second, you're just gonna fall. You have to commit your ways. Commit, commit to it. See, when I commit my ways to the Lord, it frees me to focus on the things that I, that I need to do. This isn't a YOLO mentality. 
This is, but it, when I trust the Lord, when I delight in the Lord, and when I commit my ways to the Lord, then I can live freely, free from worry, free from regret, and free to serve God. A more biblical example, I think, of also committing comes from Noah. I mean, talk about commitment. They, God told him to build an ark. And, and, and he, for many years, he was building this ark. I mean, it doesn't give us the exact, it doesn't give us what he, people told him, but I can imagine that there's some people walking around and saying, look at this idiot. He's building this big boat, but, God, but Noah delighted in the Lord. There was no one righteous like Noah in his time. And then I also think of the, uh, when me, me and my wife, Nicole, were talking to Gary and Michelle Kittredge, he, he's the one who quoted, he quoted this verse to me. And he said, commit your ways to the Lord. And I was really kind of following, should, should we commit fully to this? Like, I like to have all my th- things, all the boxes checked. I like to know what's gonna happen in front of me, but I, I can't know this. I, I, have to, I have to commit my ways to the Lord and know that he will act. See, once you've committed to, to the Lord, then that frees you from being worried about, the, about those things. It frees you to do what you're supposed to do. The verse, the, this, this section ends and it says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Yes, Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. This is the expectation of trusting in the Lord. The verse doesn't say, see all the evil in the world. Make sure you post about how good you are. It says he will bring forth your righteousness. See, it's not up to us to make everything right. God will do that. The fate of the world doesn't land on your shoulders or your shoulders or your shoulders or my shoulders. So you can trust God that he will make everything right. Look, we see a lot of injustice in this world. Uh, I was an infantry machine gunner in the, in the Marine Corps. And I mean, when I see things like that are happening in Ukraine or even the things just right down the street, I wanna strap on a machine gun if they'd give me one back. And I, want to, and I want to go take care of that. But that's not what this verse is telling us. It says, be still and wait patiently on the, on the Lord. Patient is not my top skill either. Committing patience, this, this, this verse hits home. But I know that the Lord is good and that he can be trusted. And, and this section ends right where it started. Don't get heated over the one who prospers in his ways, over the man who carries out evil devices. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That's possibly where Jesus got this from in verse, um, in verse 11 of this Psalm. It's so easy to see everything that's going on and, and not focus on what God wants us to do. I just, I felt like this was such an encouraging Psalm and I wanted to come here and encourage you guys with this, that you can trust God and that you can commit to him. You don't have to get heated or envious you don't have to go think you have to do everything. You don't have to know how it's going to work. Africa, really? Like, that's, that's far, you know? But I can trust that God is in control of it. See, but God tells us, he says, trust in me. I know what I'm doing. Delight in me. You will, not, you will be satisfied. Commit to me. I will establish your ways. Be still. I will bring forth your righteousness. Be patient. It all turns out like I planned. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, just come before you, Lord, and I'm just so thankful for 
for your sovereignty and your control, Lord. You are good and you do good, and I can trust in that. And everyone here can trust in this, that we can commit our ways to you and trust in you and know that you will act. Lord, I just, again, I thank you for Amaya's church. I thank them, thank Aaron and Bridget for welcoming us, us into your, their home. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work mightily in them, that they would be a light in a very dark place. Lord, that they would shine forth and that you would bring, you would bring forth their righteousness, Lord. I just thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen.